Welcome to the Success Road Podcast. This is the podcast where we meet at the intersection of your life and take decisive action to move onward toward higher levels of success, whatever that means for you. My name is Joshua Rivers from PodcastGuyMedia.com, and I'm taking you on this journey. As we explore many areas related to self-development and self-care, the topics that I try to focus most on this podcast is relating to things like building habits, productivity, and health, and things like that. And while there's some strategy involved, these are things that are more related to tactics, specific things that we can be able to do or not do to be able to try to improve our lives. But there's other things that are more like uh, maybe glue that kind of hold everything together that we talk about on a regular basis. And one of those things that I didn't even think about until recently is music. And so a lot of people listen to and they enjoy music, but the truth is, is that most people don't really think about how music is really affecting them. And so today I had the privilege to be able to have Bill Protzman on here to be able to talk about music specifically in relation to self-care and self-development. So welcome to the show, Bill. Glad to have you. Oh, really glad to be here, man, Joshua. What a, what a great opportunity we have, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I think the time that we're living in right now is a really good opportunity for us to be able to look at ways that we can be able to proactively be able to put some of the stuff into practice. And music is a really, really good way to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a great practice. I've, I've got to say, I have a music habit. You know, if we were in a 12-step meeting right now, I'd say, you know, my name is Bill Protzman and I'm a musician. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that, you know, it gets into you. And as a piano player all my life, um, I have a completely warped perspective on what the average bear must feel like when it comes to music, but um, it does get into you. Whether you listen or play or sing, or it becomes part of, of us, like part of who we are, part of who you are. You have your favorite songs, part of what I am, my favorite songs. And, you know, collectively, we like to sing in church. We have, you know, it's, it's this music thing, it's all around us and it's always working on us. So good to know about it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you kind of maybe alluded to a little bit there, but to kind of kick us off a little bit more. So why do you believe that music is so important? Well, I, I've tried to live without it. <laughs> <laughs> and in my enforced sobriety, I felt like I was missing something. It was like, it's like food. It's, you, can't, you can't even sort of measure it against other important things in life. If we had just silence all around us, we would be fundamentally different people. There's lots of stories about, uh, and they're sadly, they're stories of abuse about kids who were grown up, who were forced to grow up either in darkness or um, isolation in some way. And that's a, it's removing, it's like torture. It's removing a fundamental part of who we are to not have auditory stimulus. And, you know, the research on this with babies and kids and stuff like that is it, it's really significant what it term, does for our brain development and all that kind of thing. But it can be psychologically damaging to live without sound. Um, living, you know, taking the vow of silence or something means that you shut up and listen, right? You have to listen when you take away the sounds you make. What do you hear? So uh, there's this probably as long as we've been humanoids. There's this understanding that the sounds around us are part of who we are. They're a fundamental part of who we are. The sound mm -hmm. of our breath, the sound of our heartbeat, you know, and and that's uh, 
I can't imagine living without that. I can imagine being in silence and, and just being able to hear the sounds that you don't otherwise hear. But being isolated from all sound, that would be like starvation in, in ways that, you know, I think <laughs> physiologically they could demonstrate. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely have the same the same feeling. And I mean, I've, I've done some music training myself and my kids are going through piano lessons. My son's really taken off with some of that. And music is a very important part in our life as well. And I have a lot of the same sentiment, sentiments that uh, if if we didn't have those things in our lives, there would be a void. And I mean, there's even times when I'm, I'm doing work on my computer and there's times it's like, man, I need to listen to some music while I'm working. Because right? yeah. it helps. And and obviously, there's different music that helps in different situations and things like that. But um, but anyway, there, there's some interesting things that I saw in relation to music as, as, as I was kind of scanning through some of your things and listening to some other interviews that you've done. Um, and, and I thought it was really interesting, um, one of the things that you have in there. And so, that prompts me to ask, so how has music kept you alive? Oh, gosh. Um, we've, we've talked sort of broad brush. But for me personally, there have been moments, you know, man, there's there are times where the song comes along and you needed it to be there. And it was the right song. And it just everything changed because of that moment. And, uh, you know, we've all experienced stuff like that, where if you're going to the movies and the music swells and the hero shows up on the screen, you know, it's like that kind of a moment. Right. Mm -hmm. But the one that is most poignant for me was when I felt like ending it all. And. You know, I, I wasn't in any like terrible place. That feeling at that moment of just being done, having you know, I'm, I'm finished. There's nothing more for me to do here. I sort of accomplished all of my purpose. Feeling um, was really an ambivalent moment, and so I didn't come to that place with any kind of great fears or great concerns or a bunch of anxiety or you know all the other stuff that you might think propels people towards suicide. It turns out that people who think about suicide often have those kinds of feelings around them. But for me at that moment, I was just sort of flat. I just emotionally flat. And I had plenty to be grateful for, and I was, and I had plenty to go on living for, and that was nice, but I just felt done. So instead of reaching for rope or finding a gun or something, I just put on some headphones and sat in the chair and played a piece of music on repeat to allow whatever the music had for me to come and mind me in that place. You know, I could, it was afternoon, it was evening. I, I figured, you know, I, if anything really needs to be done, I'll take care of that tomorrow. And just sat and listened to the music. And the most surprising thing, which seems odd, but the most surprising thing happened to me, Joshua. I just started to weep. All of this deep emotion that was buried inside me um, unlocked and began to be released. And it was so profound. Uh, you know, as I think about it now, I have the same kind of feelings. I can, I can feel my spine relaxing. And, and you, you kind of, that pre-feeling that you have before the tears come sort of wells up inside you. Mm -hmm. uh, that all comes back to me when I think about this and talk about it with you. And I sat in the chair and I must have wept for a long time because uh, when I woke up, it was fully dark, and the music was still playing in my in my earphones. And 
the craziest thing uh, happened because when I woke up for the first time in a long time, I really felt awake. I felt alive. I, I was drained, so I didn't have a lot of energy, but I definitely was alive in a way that was foreign to me, was new to me. And uh, I was so wrung out, I went to bed. But the next morning when I woke up, um, there were words in my head, as there often are. And I realized that the words in my head this morning were lyrics. And I started to write them down. And before too long, I had like four verses and a bridge. And then um, I said almost out loud, you know, so this is great. I've got lyrics. Where's the music? And the music started to hit me. And it was like I had to run to the piano and transcribe it. And I got it all written down. And before noon, this whole song was done. And it's a corny little like blues shuffle song. And um, I was... I hadn't gotten it yet. So I, I said to the universe, well, so who's going to sing this? And as clearly as the words are that you can hear me saying now, I heard the words you are, Bill. And I did. I, I performed that song a couple of times. And I'm not a singer. You know, I can play the piano all right. But um, I actually performed that. And it was the most uh, cathartic experience to to perform that crazy little song because in my show, I could stack it up right next to the music that I listened to that night in the chair that had this profound impact on me, uh, and play that for the audience, and then perform the song. So it was just a remarkable experience. And the impetus from that, that evening has stayed with me. That was in 2007. And you guys know what was happening in 2007 and 2008, right? Mm -hmm. So that was 20, 2007, and uh, that energy is still with me. It still enlivens what I do, and it, it convinces me every time I think about that experience to continue to talk about it and let people know that the, there's magic waiting for you in music. Now, there's science that explains what that magic is, but there's magic waiting for you in music that all you need to do is, is bring your attention to, and it will change you. It will transform you. Hmm. Yeah, that's so profound, and the 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 takeaway that i'm getting from from you telling that story is not just an inspirational story of being able to come back from such a dark place which that's definitely uh, a thing that we can be able to learn but but with that the the power that music has to be able to help us in in those situations and so that leads me to to ask what to you, what is the difference between music therapy and music care? Oh, this is a great question. And I, I want to answer it with all kinds of respect for my colleagues and music therapists, uh, trained, almost clinically trained professionals. They definitely have psychological training, master's degrees in many cases, PhDs in some. And they're skilled in the art of the therapeutic relationship. So if you've ever been to or seen movies about, or um, even if you are a therapist, you know that there's a sort of skill involved in being able to lead someone through the process of a therapeutic awakening. And music therapy does that. The modality, of course, is music, because music is a great way of being able to unlock the, um, we used to say the right brain, but to unlock the intuitive, unlock the non-dominant, to awaken your ability to relate to yourself in a way that's not intellectual, that gets below the surface. And maybe that goes to emotions, or maybe it goes to um, memories, whatever it is. So music therapists are trained in being able to work with you in that process. And 
music, great modality for that. I'm even aware of what's called vocal psychotherapy. Get this. So in vocal psychotherapy, you would go to your therapist's office and there'd be a piano there. And the two of you sit at the piano and improvise music while you sing your therapy session. Hmm. Isn't that cool? It's like non-dominant writing where it unlocks something about you that you wouldn't get at any other way. It's like supercharging the therapeutic experience. So vocal psychotherapy. So all that's cool. Now, music care is what I call self-care using music. Therapy is great and we need guides, but we are intrinsically set up to respond to music. Once you know about that, and you start to explore that, you can give yourself the same kind of therapeutic experience uh, that I had in the chair that night or whatever it might be. Um, I've seen music used to resolve conflict, no therapists in the room. Uh, one of the things I like to do before meetings is just start a little click track or a drum track playing on my phone. And it doesn't have to be loud enough so that it's annoying, but it's definitely there. And that little tr click track um, physiologically entrains everybody that comes into the room. Whatever your heart rate is, the click track brings you closer to the beat that's on the track. And uh, breath is another part of that. And also, actually, the mental focus starts to entrain as well. So you can use music intelligently to create an environment that's appropriate for whatever it is you want to accomplish. Whether that's, you know, a fight song you play before a football game, if we ever play football again, <laughs> or... <laughs> You know, a, a click track before a meeting or the tone that you often hear before meditation practice or um, we talked about it in church, worship before the message. The, the worship is an entrainment of everyone to bring us together in a way that that syncs us up physiologically and mentally and emotionally. And, of course, in the case of music, you can't leave out the spiritual aspects of music, the inspiration, whatever science can't explain, we'll just call that spiritual. It's all part of the package and you get it all with music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And th that also reminds me of something I saw on your website. You wrote this. It says, your ability to grasp the power of music is based simply on your desire to do so. If you want it, it can happen. This is because you're using music as a tool, um, or that's because using music as a tool is awareness-based. Raise your awareness and change your life. So I was oh, wondering, true. what do you mean by that? Well, you know, we all like music. It's, it's most of us too. Um, there are people who are amusical. But if you have any understanding or knowledge of music, you kind of know that there's music you like. You like to listen to music for a purpose. And that's a wonderful place to start because it, it shows that you're connected. It shows that you're tuned in and you, uh, you have some appreciation of what's going on with sound and rhythm. So how do you magnify that purpose? How do you amp it up? So if you like to use music to relax, for example, that's great. You can change your mood, you change your physiological effect with relaxing music. You like to use music at the gym or to work out or to run or ride. Um, another great way to use music, you're getting the physiological boost that you need from running to music or working out to music. That's fantastic stuff. And, and you know, by our very nature, we get that. Clearly, if you're going to dance, you want to hear dance music. You can't dance to a lullaby. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the same thing. So we have this built-in ability. How do you change that? How do you focus and bring your awareness to it? One of the ways I like to do that is to ask questions. So, um, and we can do this now, just as a little exercise. Don't put you on the spot or anything, but let's talk <laughs> about it. Because, I mean, 
clearly it's it's something that you we already have this ability. So, <clears throat> Joshua, <clears throat> what's your gratitude music? Now, as you think about that, see how the question focuses you on on connecting some music that you love with a skill that is important. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, just pick a song. I mean, we pick any song. There's great songs out there for gratitude, but anything coming to you? Oh, um, well, most of the, (laughs) most of the songs I know are, um, gospel or or church and good. And there's, and we actually just, uh, uh, had a, a message yesterday touching on thankfulness and things like that. And, uh, one of the songs that, that came to mind was, um, um, count your blessings. Um, and for those that may not know what that song is, it, it goes through and explains, I can't even think of all the different words now, but the chorus goes, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God had done. And it just, it just as you're seeing that, and if you're paying attention anyway, and you're seeing that, it helps you to be able to kind of go through and start really looking at the individual things that that there are blessings in your life, and and whether you're you believe in God or not, or what is his intervention in your life, or whatever. Regardless of that, you can still think about those things in your life that are blessings, and no matter what negative things might be going on around you, you can still find some positive things to be grateful for. And that's one of the songs that, that really helps me be able to think about that and, and focus on that. That's perfect, man, because you, you have all of the content, like you just explained the content of that song. And I would guess that if I knew the, if I knew the melody and could play it for you right now, if I were to play that melody, all of that information would come flooding back to you. Mm-hmm. So um, human beings are pretty, unique in this way. We don't need to actually hear the song. We can trigger the content of the song by memory. So just remembering that song brings all of what you just explained right back to you. Bang, right there. It's, it's instantaneous. Now, here's the cool part. To use that in a gratitude practice means that when you practice gratitude, by saying thank you, or whatever it is, some simple act, or even more complex ones, bring the song with you into that moment, simply by remembering it. The science is that if you hear something 16 times, it becomes durable. It, it creates a neural pathway that is embedded. And in that neural pathway, not only do you get the information, you know, the, the words, if you will, the mental part of it, you also get the feelings. So, as you listen to that song playing your mind, like right now, what do you feel? What are, what are the emotions that are with that song? It's kind of a, um, a calming effect for me yeah. um, with that. And so because because I, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm realizing, okay, that things are not as bad or as bleak as maybe it might seem. And so I can be able to kind of relax, maybe even – um, peaceful could be another word yeah. as well. Peaceful. Um, I heard you say something that I would call acceptance. Yeah. You know? um, so these emotional words are part of the content of that song too. 
And music care is about enlivening your, your practice of the whole thing. So that means the mental part, the content, the words, the lyrics, and the emotional part, which you're talking about now, that sort of uh, purposeful acceptance or a relaxed, peaceful feeling. And once you recognize that that's part of the song as well, doesn't that amp up your practice of gratitude? I mean, you never have an empty thank you again. Once you connect it that way, it's like, thank you. I really appreciate this. There's a whole different emotional component to it. And the cool part is because of mirror neurons and whatnot, people really read you that way. They'll never misunderstand your gratitude when you show up with it connected to music that animates it for you. <laughs> Starting to make sense? Yeah. Now get this, because it goes beyond. Um, mirror neurons recognize emotion, but they also recognize um, the physical aspect. It's pretty difficult to be grateful if your physical aspect is agitated, right? It, or uh, offensive in some way, or you're like, get in people's face. That's not going to, your gratitude's going to be misunderstood. <laughs> and the song that you pick brings you into a physical alignment with what you want to express as well. So this little practice of putting music to an act of gratitude, of compassion, of whatever it is, brings with it the mental, comp the mental component, the emotional component, and the physical component too. Because in order to offer your gratitude to somebody else, you're going to have to be peaceful. You're going to have to be relaxed. And if you connect it to music, music brings all of it, physical, mental, emotional, it's going to be authentic. Now, let's talk about the other part of this, because the other aspect is spiritual, of course. And in the spiritual world, there's a lot of like ways we could go with that. But the thing that is most relevant right now, anyway, for me, is the spiritual practice of gratitude is one of connection. It allows you to connect with someone else as a human being. You can't, I mean, people do all the time. They say thank you like it doesn't matter. But if you say thank you with authenticity, you're building a connection with somebody that might be just that moment and gone, or it might last a lifetime. But that aspect of the practice of gratitude, when you use music to animate it, is just as important as all the others. Maybe it's the most important. And music brings that too. Like the science on this is that music elevates consciousness. And who wouldn't want to be appreciated by someone with an elevated consciousness? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's music here. That's bringing all of the aspects of what music can do for us right up into awareness so that you know when you go to practice gratitude with your song echoing in your head in your heart that it's going to be an authentic moment and it's going to, it will convey exactly these the, the sentiment that you want exactly the information that you want exactly the meaning that you want isn't that cool yeah i love it i love it yeah that's music here yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I really love music and thinking about the way it it, it really does um, change us, like you said, uh, both physio physiologically and mentally, spiritually. It, it really does. And um, one thing I'm thinking of as well with some of the work that I do as a podcast editor is um, integrating music into the podcasts. 
um, or some of the podcasts that I'm doing, integrating music in such a way to be able to really help set the mood for for that, to be able to tie in not just the words that are spoken by by the person, but the music to be able to complement that and to to really help bring the listener in and to to be able to start to really feel what is being talked about. Yes, exactly. That feeling is so important. Uh, that that's I think where we connect. And uh, you know what it's like if you listen to oh who are the famous voices that we all know. Um, if you played uh, Darth Vader's voice, we'd all instantly know that it was um, who's the amazing actor behind that voice. Um, oh. You know, we we know yeah. it's him, right? <laughs> um, they you can hear singers, and you know their voice. It's it's not the person we know; it's the vibration. Or we recognize their vibration. You know, that vibrational energy is unique to each one of us. And what an incredible awareness to have! It's like kids—you'll always know your parents' voices. Mm-hmm. Parents will always know your kids' voice, and you can hear them on the phone. You know immediately who it is, right, when they call without having to look at the screen. Mm-hmm. This is a fantastic ability that we have. Uh, and if you're listening to a bunch of podcasts like we podcasters do, there's a quality about the voices that you hear. And you know when you're talking to somebody who's, whose voice has impact, who resonates with you. And, and we all resonate differently, right? So this is not a right or wrong thing. This is just when you're listening, you know if you're listening to somebody that's, that has meaning for you if that makes any kind of sense. It, I think uh, the, the historical example on this is like Walter Cronkite on the news, if you're old enough to remember him, <laughs> or look at reels. He had that voice. And and back in the day, the talking heads on TV, it was about their tone of voice and, and how they could portray the terrible things happening in the world in a way that allowed us to um, to not be frightened by them, but to appreciate the gravity of the situation. Uh, this is, an, a mar- this is a marvelous thing for people who have voices like that. I mean, just use them because people, we need them. <laughs> we need them right now. <laughs> but it's an auditory thing. We get that on an auditory level. You know, the level of music is where we hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that you have written some books. So can you tell us uh, what those are and maybe a little bit about why you wrote them? Sure, sure. Um, I, I love to volunteer and two of the biggest causes where I've spent the most time are with veterans and with homeless people. And in the work that I did with veterans, had the opportunity to work on the spiritual aspects of what is called moral injury. Uh, it's where your your belief system conflicts with what you're supposed to do at work. And <laughs> clearly, you know, hmm. soldiers are about breaking things and hurting people. So that's a moral injury if you grew up in a monotheistic tradition. So uh, the result of that conflict was this creative opportunity to more or less document the ways in which we can practice things, what I call best spiritual practices, that sustain us. It's hard to do that, man. There, there, are, there are tough spiritual practices we're being called upon to do these days. We mentioned one, gratitude. That's a best spiritual practice. Um, there are others. Uh, appreciation, obviously, things like kindness, honor, respect. But what about stuff like discernment, where it's up to you to make a tough choice? And how do you make the right decision? You know, what, what are the spiritual practices of, that are engaged with discernment that can help you um, choose wisely? 
So this is an interesting topic. And as a little manual, how-to manual, I wrote the book called More Than Human, which is a guide to how to implement best spiritual practices in your organization. Uh, that could be a family or it could be an enterprise, but it works either way. So More Than Human is a cool book about that. Thank you, veterans, because without your support and the engagement that I've had with you over the last 10 years or so, um, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to sort of really document what we were talking about in that exercise of investigating moral injury. So that's the first book. The second book is one I just published. It's, uh, it's not by me. I got to be the glue that helped to make it all come together. I have a buddy who has uh, painted forever in California and taught artists in Southern California uh, as a professor at a local college and as a recognized plein air painter in the groups that are out there. And he decided at one point to sketch homeless people from life, which is uh, an interesting opportunity. Um, I think at the time he said this, when he went in to do this at a nonprofit in Orange County, California, uh, the people were sort of concerned that he wouldn't be honest and he wouldn't show them who they really are. He'd try to portray them as something else. And uh, the artist's name is Jeff Horn, and Jeff isn't that way. He's, he comes from authenticity. And when he began to draw uh, the people who sat for him, it became clear very quickly that Jeff was portraying them in their authenticity at the moment. The other amazing thing that he did at the time was to ask each of them if they would write a statement for him about what it was like at that moment in their lives. And many of them did. And um, this project sat in his drawer for years. He did the drawings in the early 90s. And the book was published um, in 2018 and received a, a national award in 2019 as part of the Independent Publisher of the Year program, a uh, gold medal for artistic uh, achievement or something. And it was fantastic to be a part of that and to help Jeff realize his vision of getting this work out there in a way that's accessible. It's a folio-sized book, almost life-size. You can see uh, some of the portraits fully blown up, and then they're right next to the statements that the homeless people who sat for Jeff made describing their situation and the homeless um, issues they were facing and what they thought could be done. And it's, it's a very beautiful and poignant book. And the purpose is to allow people to begin to appreciate what it's like to be unhoused, um, if you will, from a distance. So as you know, when you look into someone's eyes, the eyes are the windows of the soul. In these portraits, looking into over 100 homeless people's eyes uh, changes you. And when you flip through the book, or if you take the time and read it, you begin to recognize that you're seeing humanity here. You're seeing, in some cases, people who have the same kinds of issues that you do. They may not have a house or a door to call their own, but they're facing humanity in many ways, the same way that all of us who live indoors face humanity. And this is an important thing. We printed a thousand copies and we just gave them to homeless supporting NGOs and people who are leading in the homeless uh, services sector as a way of saying thank you because it's a thankless job. And as we all know, it isn't going away. So um, offering this as a, as a token of thanks and appreciation is a way toward resolving homelessness that hasn't yet been tried. And 
when you're not getting results from all the ways that have been tried, just making them bigger, better, or faster isn't necessarily the way forward. It might solve more problems, but to be able to transform the nature of how we serve homeless people with gratitude, I think is a initiative that's a little bit overdue. So Jeff and I did that, and uh, we're continuing that initiative with the book, In Our Eyes, In Our Words. And if you want one, uh, the very best way to do that is to reach out to your local homeless services organizations, wherever they may be, and say, I heard about this book. Is there any way I can get one? And to encourage them to reach out to us, and um, we can offer the books to the homeless agencies that are in your area and uh, at no charge. And uh, the homeless agencies can do what they like with them. Maybe they sell them and raise a little money. Uh, maybe they give them as a token of their appreciation. Uh, it's uh, it's really interesting to me to be able to say there's no set way forward on a gratitude initiative like this. You just have to say thank you and see what happens. Hmm. That that just sounds really really powerful. Both of those right there, and I really appreciate everything that you've uh, contributed today to to this episode. And so I really really appreciate that. And so if anybody wanted to find out more about you or be able to get a hold of you or any of those things, what would be the best way they could do that? Well, let's see. Um, you can Google my name because <laughs> now you know it. <laughs> uh, or if you want to uh, take a run over to quest.musiccare.net, which is a great landing page for a bunch of stuff, including free stuff and uh, introduction to the Quest itself because music is something that we can study and learn about and use intelligently. There needs to be a quest to encourage people to do that. And of course, there's ways to contact me directly there too. And especially these days, uh, you're not alone. If you need to reach out for any reason, whether that's phone, voice, voicemail, email, uh, do that. I like to stay available to everyone who has questions or who just needs somewhere to sort of find refuge for a few minutes. I can do that. And I would, it would be an honor for any of your listeners to do that, Joshua. So quest.musiccare.net is where it all starts. All right. Well, thank you very much. We'll make sure to have that in the show notes. And if you want to get the show notes, you can either swipe over in your podcast app or you can go to successroadpodcast.com slash 406. And as we get ready to leave here, I want to ask you to please share this with anyone that you think needs this information. And I will look forward to talking with you on the next episode. Thank you and God bless. Thank you.